0: Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the feed hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market.
1: You're listening to the average conservationist podcast brought to you in partner with 2% for conservation 2% for conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about, whether you are into hunting, fishing, Or just getting outdoors two percent can help you not only start giving back to wildlife but get certified for it getting two percent certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like sitka stone glacier and seek outside in giving at least one percent of your time and dollars back to wildlife but it's not just for outdoor companies breweries contractors coffee roasters and even piano repair companies have earned two percent certification and stand out as leaders in their communities for doing so Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. Ladies and gentlemen, happy Wednesday to you out there. Uh, I apologize. Uh, I missed you guys last week, uh, but we've got a great episode for you today. Uh, Today, I'm going to be joined by Walter Piper. And Walter is a professor of biology at Chapman University. Uh, And Walter has really spent uh, the last 30 years uh, excuse me, studying loons uh, in both Wisconsin and most recently uh, in Minnesota uh, because of an issue that was more or less brought to his attention about a decline in the population of loons um, in these given areas, uh, kind of the northern, uh, upper Midwest region. And in order, really, I mean, we, we get into it in the episode, but really one of the big things like the, the biggest takeaway is in order to maintain uh, the research that Walter and his team are doing um, every summer um, again currently uh, in Wisco- or excuse me in Minnesota um, right now um, they lost some of their funding um, and they are are trying to to raise some funds to be able to adequately um, do their do their research and, and, and complete this this project because as Walter and I get into, Um, you know, they've, they've been able to learn a lot over the almost 30 years that they've been studying loons in Wisconsin. And what they're hoping is with a few more years of, of research, uh, in Minnesota, that they can kind of lean on some of that information, hopefully, because, uh, there's a lot of similarities between, uh, the region, uh, where they're at and hopefully, um, you know, figure out what's causing this decline, um, and work with local agencies to, to put a stop to it, um, to try to correct the situation, to try to right the wrong. Um, so that, you know, hopefully in, you know, 10 years, we're not talking about, um, you know, the loon landing on some, some lists that are, uh, not where it needs to be. And, you know, especially for, for those kind of in the Midwest region, um, I know for me and, and Walter and I talk about this kind of early on in the, in the episode, um, you know, the, the loon has, um, you know, a, a lot of, it brings back a lot of memories for people who spent or spend time, um, in this part of the country and, you know, listening to the very distinct call of the loon, watching them dive underwater, pop up, you know, 7,500 yards away. And they're just, it's an amazing animal, uh, his animal, the right word. Uh, it's an amazing bird and Walter and his team are trying to be as proactive as possible, uh, to make sure that, um, you know, nothing happens long-term that's going to really, um, put this animal, uh, in, in any more danger, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, we talk about it in the episode again, uh, but go to, loonproject.org uh, and you can really read about all of the work um, that Walter is doing and there's actually uh, a donate button on this page um, and again you'll you'll hear it in the episode but I want to also address it now I'll probably mention it again after we get done uh, after the episode um, but there Walter is, is hoping um, to raise $20,000 um, to really be able to um, adequately and to to fully staff, uh, this project, um, with volunteers, uh, other biologists and things like that. And, and as Walter explains, like this money is just going to, you know, more or less travel and equipment, um, in in order to, um, you know, be able to complete this, this research project, which, you know, for someone who, who grew up listening to these things on, on various lakes in Michigan here. Um, yeah, it's something that's very important. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to let you guys listen to Walter because, um, uh, Walter is just a, a, wealth of, of knowledge and information as it pertains to the loon. Um, and it was, for me, it was really enjoyable conversation. I, I learned a lot throughout this. Uh, hopefully you do too. Hopefully, uh, kind of strikes a chord with you and, and it makes you want to donate because these are, uh, the types of projects that, um, you know, really, uh, need our help, uh, to see them through. So episode 142 with Walter Piper, enjoy everybody. All right, Walter Piper, welcome to the podcast, sir. How are you today?
2: I'm good. I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, thanks. I'm glad that uh, we got to chat for a few minutes and and talk baseball and and things like that. And some, uh, some mutual, uh, some players that we find a mutual interest in and admiration for. So it's always nice to, to have kind of that precursor conversation and, and find a little common ground before actually starting to record here.
2: Yeah, Absolutely.
1: So Walter, we, um, our friends over at 2% for conservation kind of put us in touch with one another, um, about a project that you've, you're currently working on, you've been working on, um, and one that's kind of in a critical state. And we thought it would be a great idea to, to get you on here, uh, to share the work that you're doing and hopefully try to help push this, this project that you've been working on, um, across the finish line. So. To kind of kick things off here, Walter, tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, and then we'll kind of, we'll get into the, the project that you're working on as well.
2: Okay, great. Um, well, I'm a professor of biology at uh, Chapman University in Orange, California and i've been here since uh, 1999 i always say i've been here since the last millennium just to make it sound like it <laughs> sound really impressive but uh since 99 and actually even before that i was studying loons in wisconsin and i uh, started in 1993 in, in our study area in wisconsin in the rhinelander minoqua area <clears throat> um, and uh, i'm a i'm trained as a behavioral ecologist and, and that is to say i study territorial behavior, aggressive behavior, and, and mostly of birds, and so I was going along merrily along and studying loons, and, and you know, they're wonderful birds and much-loved birds um, in the North Country, and um, noticed, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm getting off track here, I no, guess good, already, but but, uh, but I noticed in, in about, um, you know, I guess four or five years ago, it occurred to me when we captured them to mark them each year, that uh, the chicks were not as heavy. They were not attaining lar- as large mass as they had in previous years. And so I got to be worried about that. And also it seemed like there were fewer two chick broods. They either have one or two chicks. And uh, so I um, I thought to myself, well, I better analyze this statistically. It's I, I'm not a conservationist by training, but everyone's a conservationist if they have to be uh, right, right? Absolutely. so uh, and loons uh, you know when you love loons uh, and study them the way I do you feel like you, you, you want to give something back and um, you don't want loons you don't want your study animal to, to, to disappear so I did an analysis uh, several analyses uh, three or four years ago and published a paper showing that uh, the loons really are declining they're fewer two chicks broods that they're not that the chicks really truly don't weigh as much they're about they're down by more than 10 10%. If you adjust for age, uh, in terms of their mass, uh, their reproductive success by any measure is way down, and their whole up population size has declined by 22% in our study area, which is an alarming number. I mean, that's a that's yeah. a big number. It means almost a quarter of all the birds have have disappeared, and um, especially the birds in a, the, the floaters, the young adults before they've reached uh, they've they've settled on territories, those birds are disappearing. So so I just uh, got very worried about them and um, started to turn my attention to, okay, what what what's going on? What's the problem? How can we potentially find out why the decline is occurring and how we can fix it? So now there's a very much of a c- conservation focus to my work.
1: So what was it that even made you kind of look at the loom in the first place? I mean, uh, you know, obviously being, you know, a professor of biology, I mean, it's, without making a, a, a terrible joke here i mean it It kind of is in your dna to yeah. you know uh you know see problems or, or assess situations um you know from a biological standpoint but you know you're you're in, at chapman university you're you know in southern california yeah in, in the loon you know predominantly is and i don't want to misspeak to to say oh there's loons everywhere but you know predominantly you know in the in the northern midwest uh, i mean i'm you know here in michigan i mean loons are one of those things that i i grew up you know the yeah. very distinct calling sound of a loon you know seeing them dive and then you know 30 seconds later they pop back up you know yeah 30 40 50 yards you know down the lake or something right. like that it's just it's a very iconic sound uh and bird for for a lot of us here so what what drew your attention to that in the first place
2: well um i really was similar to your experience marcus in that when i was a child i we had a um Still have a, a, a string of rustic cabins way up in in Ontario, Canada, and uh, you know as as long as I can remember, um, we heard loons' cries echo across the water yeah. on Lake Temagami way up there, north of North Bay, Ontario, and. Uh, and and like you say, dive and and then they you know they disvanish under the water. Like yep. where do they come up? Of course, when you're a kid, you know, like oh, let's try to find it, and uh, you know, it come come up 200 yards away, and like it's just a magical creature. And of course, when you got lucky enough to get close to them, they're they're this just strikingly gorgeous animal as well, and really interesting, quirky behaviors that they have. So so I got fascinated with them at an early age, but but really, if you could pick a bird. That's or an animal, I guess, that's hard to study that you might not even want to study. It would be a, an aquatic diving bird that's hard to approach closely. <laughs> and so really, they're the worst study animal in some ways to, to study, um, except that... Um, you know, about 30 years ago, some folks developed a technique for capturing them with efficiently going out in motorboats when they have chicks, and you can you can sometimes capture the adults and the chicks. And so, um, I got into them. Actually, I was a postdoc at IU in, in Indiana University in Bloomington, and uh, when somebody learned, I, I was up in in uh, in the upper. Peninsula, actually at Whitefish Point Bird Observatory okay. uh, in the UP, um, studying white-throated sparrows. When Dave Evers, this fellow who continues to study loons, uh, figured out how to how to catch. He's the one really who kind of improved the technique for catching loons. And uh, at night, by just you're really just spotlighting them at night. But uh, it's a it's an effective and safe uh, technique, and it's a technique that allows you to catch and mark um, a lot of birds fairly efficiently. And I mean, it's marking an animal is, is a profound thing. Being able to catch and mark an individual, because then suddenly these, these animals that were otherwise impossible to tell apart, you can't tell one from the other, even though they're strikingly plumaged that you can't tell them apart in any way. So once you get bands, these harmless colored plastic leg, leg bands on their legs, you can tell, oh my gosh, that's red over silver, green over yellow that's the same male that was there last year he's back you know this year And then you can start to measure things like survival rate and you can not to mention behaviors um territorial behavior to see if they're battling for their territory and and all that so so anyway to summarize i got started you know i was enchanted by loons um and i kind of got interested in them when when i learned about this new technique uh that came about for catching them efficiently, and I thought, well, if we can catch enough of them and uh, start to study their territorial behavior, because he also noticed, Dave Evers also noticed that that occasionally they, they evict each other, they kick each other off territories, and that was okay. really interesting to me as someone who studied territorial behavior. So I kind of got hooked back in 1992, and I told him, I, I, I made that the kind of phrase, I said the kind of thing you never should say to someone, which is... <laughs> Someone should study this. (laughs) You know, kind of, of kind of, yeah, kind of jinxing myself to study because no one immediately was had the training and interest to study the behavior, even though it looked like there were some interesting things going on, and so. I started and, and we, he kind of, he and uh, Mike Meyer with the Wisconsin DNR, um, he, he was also studying loons in, and marking them in Wisconsin. So I settled in Wisconsin where there was a cluster of studied, of, of loons already marked and, and began to add to that effort. And that was, you know, 31 years ago. So, um,
1: so what are some of the things that you've learned over the years about the loon that, you know, prior to you just had, you know, I, I know you just mentioned the, the, the territorial aspect of <clears throat> of loons, but w- w- what are some things that you learned along the line that just kind of make you really scratch your head or you're just kind of in awe of, of what you've come across?
2: Yeah, I mean, there are lots of things that, that have surprised us, but um, one of the, maybe the single most surprising thing, and I still can't figure out why it happens, is that we know that that loons uh, pair, stay close together and work very close together through all aspects of the reproductive effort. And so, you know, they pair together, they go out and build their nest together. But what we didn't know, uh, we also know, sorry, we also know that they use this rule called the win-stay-lose-switch rule, which means simply uh, if you nest, you put a nest in one part of the lake and and that you hatch chicks from that nest, then you reuse that. That's winning, and then you stay. You come back the next year, and you use that nest again. Okay. And if you lose, that is, if, if a raccoon gets your eggs, the raccoons are the worst predators, uh, if a raccoon gets the eggs, then you move to a new location. Okay, so that's losing and switching. Win, win, stay. Win and reuse the nest site. Lose and uh, lose your eggs and move to a new location. So loons, like many other species, is a very intuitive rule, right? A very like common yeah. sense. You and I would do the same thing. Yeah,
1: evolution, right?
2: Um, right. And uh, and loons do it. And but we didn't know since the pair work so closely together, we didn't know which of the two pair members was using that rule or if somehow it was a communication between them because if the birds are coming back each year they're very long lived. then if if they're coming back to the same territory each year you know is it the is it the female that's she's the one laying the eggs is she the one that's choosing the nest location that kind of made sense to us Um, or is it the male or do they, is there some discussion and they somehow are able to figure out who's who's been here longer, who knows better, and we're gonna I'm gonna defer to you and you're gonna choose the nest location. Well, to make a long story short, the males for, for reasons we don't understand, we uh, we learned about 15 years ago that males choose the nest location. Uh, we know that because when a male vanishes from a from a territory that was successful the previous year, uh, the new male never nests in the same nest location that the male okay you so so it's like the new like male thing. comes in yeah the male new male comes he's clueless he doesn't know what he's doing and even the if the female has been there for 20 years she has to put up with the you know the ignorance if that sounds mean, but the <laughs> ignorance of the new male, because, and he blunders around and tries to figure out where to nest. And that's the way, so isn't that, a, I mean, it's a, such a puzzling thing behaviorally. A,
1: it, it, to me, it's a very classic male thing. Stumbling <laughs> well, around yeah. trying to
2: find yeah, our Now way. that you put that spin on it. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. The things that, 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 you know, females have to put up with, but, but anyway, that's what, and that, you know, you might think, okay, maybe that's just an interesting oddity, but that turns out to be really pivotal in loon's territorial behavior because it means if you think about it it means that oh males that territory becomes worth uh, worth a ton to that male a male particularly has a great value because he learns about that territory and he's the only one who knows and can use that information and so if as he remains on that territory that territory gets more and more valuable to him over time because he starts to know i can nest here and oh sometimes i fail there but i can move it over here and so he, he accumulates this information about where to nest um, and and that's interesting because males are the ones that that fight really hard for their territories and often die in the process so males females also fight for their territories and a very very occasionally a female will die but male territory battles that lethal territory battles among males are really common and we think that's largely because males would suffer tremendously by losing this super valuable territory that they've been learning about year after year and having to go to a new a new site whereas a female if you think about it okay a female doesn't choose the nest location as long as she's on a territory with a male who knows where he's going knows where he's nesting she's just as good off as well off as on one territory as another so it's a different problem that that you know that females and males face, and it turns out to be really, really central to understanding why they behave the way they do in these battles. The, the, the stakes are just so much higher for males.
1: You, you mentioned something um, <clears throat> a few minutes ago about um, the, the kind of the age, uh, the age class uh, of loons. What is like the, the, I guess, if there is an average, but kind of the average life expectancy of a male or a female loon?
2: Um, the average for a male, I mean, you have to realize a lot of birds die in their first few years, mm-hmm. but um, if, if a male makes it back to the um, breeding ground, uh, the average life expectancy is probably somewhere in the late teens for, oh, for wow. males. We have these data. Uh, and so, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old is probably going to be about the mean. Uh, you never know when when you'll some accident will strike. I mean, if you're migratory, um, you know there's some dangers in migration. There are always tiger sharks out there, and when you're down in Florida wintering, that can that can grab you. Uh, so you never know when that'll uh, the tiger shark will come with your name on it. Uh, but uh, females, on the other hand, live into their 20s and um, or, or l- more often live into their 20s. We have we have both males and females who've lived into their 30s, uh, but um, females live longer. Males, many males kind of hit the wall at about age 15, and their, their survival rate declines uh, okay. at, at age 15. Some males keep going and going, but, but a lot of males kind of hit the wall there, whereas females have a gradual decline, but, but um, they, they, they are stayers and survivors. And I guess, again, another parallel to humans, I suppose you could say, um, in that uh, females really hang in there well, whereas males tend to hit the wall sooner.
1: Yeah. And, and I'm just making a complete assumption here, but it kind of goes back to what you were talking about with female or with the males picking the site location for nests and the females kind of inherently, um, feeling comfortable in there because they know that the male has likely kind of, you know, done his due diligence, let's say right over the course of time and, and using those, those breeding grounds and those nesting areas. Um, so there's, you know, less stress or less potential harm on the female. And if there is, you know, inherent danger in the area or something moves in some type of, um, you know, predator or anything like that, that the male is the one likely, like you mentioned, that's, you know, trying to defend that ground. And and that's when, you know, they could potentially lose their life as well.
2: Yeah, I mean, although I I, got to say, uh, Marcus, that these are like These are male-male battles and female-female battles.
1: Okay. So these are...
2: um, So um, the only case when you have a male attack a female or maybe a a female attack a male which would be very rare is if if a female is with her chicks and a a male intruder came in she might try to attack the male but um but yeah uh males are larger they're about 20 to 25 percent larger so they do more territory defense they're also only the ones they're only ones who can give the territorial call which is called the yodel and so males are kind of better equipped to to defend the territory and they spend a lot of time defending the chicks. Uh, They give you this yodel a lot to try to drive and to keep intruders from even landing when the chicks are small because intruders do kill loon chicks sometimes. Um, Okay. So, so yeah, males do have a a, a higher um, responsibility in in terms of, um, uh, defending the territory, but females, when, it, when another female comes in to try to take a female's territory, it's like the male kind of stands back and says, okay, this is you. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, this is your responsibility and, and vice versa. I mean, females don't help their, you, you might think, well, why don't, pairs get together and defend drive yeah. anybody off who um come, tries to come in no the female sits back and lets the males battle and and vice versa so um yeah it's a it's very much a female on female or male on male battle okay uh, when that happens unless there are chicks and then and, and that in that case then you get both pair members working together because the chicks are so valuable to them
1: yeah and that was a that was an interesting um fact that you said that <clears throat> usually there's only one maybe two chicks um in a cycle, which, you know, I, and maybe it's just, you know, my own ignorance on the topic, but I would, I would have assumed, you know, that you were looking at, you know, four to five, um, you know, yeah, per
2: people, yeah. People think of them as, you know, of course, they they look for similar to ducks. Right. But uh, so people think of them as ducks and, you know, think of the ducks, you know, mallard ducks with, you know, 13 uh, yeah. ducklings behind and mergansers that they see up uh, with with equal numbers and, you know, huge families. And um, that's not the case for loons. For loons, um, again, I guess you could say like humans. I mean, we not many young that we have and there's a ton of investment in the young that we do have. I mean, I mean, chicks. Uh, or or loon's uh, stay um, stay with their young and feed their young for like 11 weeks before, for, you know, two and a half months until the young get, old enough to be able to feed themselves and able to fly and, and, and whatnot. So there's a huge investment in either the one or the two chicks that, that loons produce very different model from what ducklings are doing. Where like, you know, there are 13 ducklings today and they're 11 tomorrow and you hope at least a few of them survive. Right. And loons is like a big deal. You have one or two uh, loon chicks and you defend them to the hilt.
1: Yeah. So <clears throat> Walter, in your, I guess your your most recent project, and and you know the the reason that we're able to, to speak here today, you're studying the decline um, in like the North Midwest, and you said you've been working on this study for four or five years. Is that correct?
2: Well, so in Minnesota, I, I um I started in this will be my third year coming up. Okay. We started in okay. 2021 in Minnesota. In, in Wisconsin, we began in '93, so we're coming up to year 31. Uh, but in Minnesota, um, We are, we're just getting into year three. And in some ways though, even though it is a different state, of course, loons don't know, don't know and respect state boundaries, I'm afraid. Uh, So, and the loons in Minnesota, they are somewhat different from the ones in Wisconsin. There are some average differences in the lakes and and, and all that. But but, uh, really, we feel like the pressure's that the loons are facing in Wisconsin and Minnesota are very similar. You know, there's a lot of recreational uh, activity up there. A lot of loons getting caught on fishing lines. There's lead. Uh, that lead can be a problem. Lead poisoning. Um, and a variety of other things. I mean, we've more, most recently we've just uh, we just got a paper that we're, that's just been submitted for publication on water clarity. There's been a decline in water clarity in Wisconsin. And, and I haven't looked closely at Minnesota yet because we're just getting ramped up there. But I suspect there's been also been a decline in water clarity in, in Minnesota in our in the study lakes that we're now working there. And and water clarity is critical to loons, of course, because they're visual predators. Who are looking for the fish underwater. So if right. the water gets less clear, it means they can't find as many fish for their young, and the chicks lose mass. And this paper that we just wrote up uh, shows pretty clearly, statistically, that there's a strong association between water clear, short-term water clarity, essentially water clarity in July, and the the mass of the chicks. And in fact, even adult mass is tied somewhat to water clarity, less strongly than chicks. But the chicks are like, you know, in some cases, the chicks are living or dying over water clarity. And there's been an overall decline in water clarity in in Wisconsin and Minnesota in a way that, sorry, in Wisconsin, we presume it's also true in Minnesota. Uh, And so we're very concerned because, of course, water clarity is a big measure of water quality that everybody cares about, even if you're not a loon aficionado like I am.
1: So is it, I don't want to ask this. Um, You've been, you know, studying the loons in Wisconsin for, like you said, coming up on 30 years and you're in, you know, or or you're in year three or coming up on year three um, in Minnesota. What, what differences are you know, habitat and and things like that. I mean, those are, they're all very similar, right. Kind of like you pointed out. Um, what are you seeing in Minnesota that, that kind of really has you going, you know, for, Oh shit. Right. Like what, well, we, we gotta make something happen here.
2: Yeah. I I mean, I'm, I'm a kind of a worry ward anyway, and I don't know. And, and since I've seen things decline in Wisconsin, I'm already kind of on edge and, and worried about, um, Minnesota, but, I, I will say that uh, just in the two years that we have worked, the last two years have been poor reproductive years for for the part in Minnesota that we're at. Now we're in uh, Crow Wing County in North Central Minnesota. A little bit north of our uh, Wisconsin study area, if you're looking, you know, latitudinally, and uh, but right, pretty much in the heart of the state, and it's the the black flies, which are a big problem because they're, you know, they're pests for humans, of course, but this is a different species of black fly that only only bothers loons. Um, and they, they really can bother loons severely and cause almost a hundred percent abandonment of May nests in some oh, wow. in really severe years, which happened three years ago in Wisconsin. And we got just about the same thing in Minnesota, uh, just, uh, just this past year. And the year before were both really bad black fly years. Um, and so that, that already makes me think. Hmm. You know, we knew there were black flies in Minnesota, but now we know. Wow, they are a major cause of nest failure. And you know, if you're if if you're looking at things from a population level, a loon population level, if black flies are severe, it's like. It's like being hit in the mouth early in the year because they cause you they cause huge rates of abandonment of the first nest. And those first nests are the most important nests. Those are the most likely to be successful. And therefore, if you have massive abandonment of those first nests, you know it's never it's not gonna be a good year. It can't ever bounce back to where even though they try to renest. Most pairs will try to renest, but but many will fail. And so it's just like you know they just lost that great opportunity so the fact that black flies are really bad and we've also noticed that this last year chick mortality in in Minnesota was higher higher in Minnesota than uh, in in 2022 than we've ever seen in Wisconsin uh, in any year mm-hmm. so i mean i don't know it's again it's too early to be an absolute <laughs> to in panic mode but i'm very concerned cuz this suggests that uh, that, that reproductively Minnesota loons aren't producing as many young as, as they should be. Um, uh, there are a couple of possible reasons for that. It, it, it's, there are, there's a higher rate of artificial nesting platforms. You know, people put out these one meter by one meter squared uh, PVC, usually uh, nesting platforms for loons. And those are great because they, you know, they allow loons often to hatch eggs and the raccoons can't get to them because they, they anchor them offshore. So those are great, but now people have put so many of those up in Minnesota that we worry that they are causing loons to nest because they're so attractive to loons. They're causing loons to nest in areas where they wouldn't even think of nesting before because there's no nesting habitat. And that could draw adults into places where there's good nesting habitat on that platform but where maybe there's too much boat traffic or maybe uh, fish populations aren't high enough to sustain the chicks. So it's possible that that's causing, and, and this is speculative, but it, it's possible that's causing a disconnect between where the nesting habitat is and where the habitat, good habitat for raising chicks is, the safe habitat where there's enough food. So that's those are a couple of, couple of concerns that I have in Minnesota that have already got me tossing and turning a little more than... than i do ordinarily
1: so it's almost like you're there that you know people are creating these you know safe havens for for nesting but due to that it's almost it almost has the loons going um against their instincts or or their better judgment in terms of like finding an area that is you know a safe nesting ground but also has the right um you know habitat around it yeah. to allow um you know the birds to develop when they're young and everything like that with you know a healthy fish population and everything like that because right. that probably goes back into you know, what we, what you talked about is, you know, learning, you know, as these males nest in the same area over and over again, they're learning. Okay. Like, you know, we, we know that there's good fish here. right um, you right. know, we, we know that it's safe. So it's, you're doing it's, something good, but almost having a reverse effect. It's in pos- the long run. now,
2: now th- th- it's early days, Marcus. So it's too, that's my, again, that's my worry wart sign side. That's, that's, uh, you know, that's coming up with that explanation, but it's possible that, that, that we're putting in uh, in some cases there we're putting in platforms where um where that hatches the chicks and we feel good you know good about the chicks that are hatched but we haven't taken like Yeah, like you say, a sort of a holistic view to make sure that the habitat otherwise is going to support those chicks, and the parents are going to be able to raise those chicks in a safe place. Because just having a platform out somewhere doesn't mean you got a good place. Yeah, it doesn't a good safe place for the chicks to hang out. And uh, yeah, I mean people put out platforms sometimes in very busy areas where there're huge boats coming through all the time at speed, and you think, wow, those chicks are going to be in trouble if the parents you know, get caught out with their chicks in the wrong location at the wrong time. So, yeah.
1: Now these nesting platforms are the, you know, when these are are being put into place and things like that, the, the, whether it's conservation organizations, whether it's just, you know, regular people who, you know, are trying to, you know, do their part, so to speak, are they, you know, consulting with, you know, biologists like yourself in order to kind of determine these optimal places for these, um, nesting platforms to go?
2: I think that usually happens. I know I, I know Wisconsin better than uh, Minnesota, so we're just learning about Minnesota. Uh, but but I know that in Wisconsin there are guidelines, uh, and uh, you know uh, you have to get permission to put. Uh, to put the platform out so you have to check with the DNR and and I often uh, get asked as as a resident loon expert is this a good is this a good promising place to put a nesting platform is this a good lake to put a pl-? you know does does the information that you have on the breeding success of the loons uh, make it look like they will benefit from this so so there's a pretty careful study in Wisconsin i th- I think in Minnesota a, s- a similar thing happens. Um, in most cases, at least. And I certainly also want to say, if, you know, people hear these, you know, people who put out platforms, there are people who year after year put out platforms um, in Minnesota and Wisconsin, both. And they they put it out, the loons use it, they have chicks, they fledge the chicks. And we know that that's a positive for the population. So I do not want to run into this situation of just, you know, <laughs> casting aspersions on folks right, who put out right. platforms. Because many, in many times, we know that it boosts the, the, Population success, but there are some cases where people uh, people seem to put out platforms that that maybe are not in a great location, maybe should have checked, or they put too penny too many platforms and put them too close together. Okay. Um, so, um, and also, you know, when you put out a platform, that's a big deal when there's when there's um, twenty eight inches of ice. You know, on a lake uh, in the winter, you know you're going to have to put that platform out. You're going to have to take it in in the fall after the loons have used it. Probably do some uh, maintenance on the platform. Take it out in April to make sure it's there when the loons arrive the next spring. So there's a lot of maintenance and and and, uh, and those things are heavy, big, clunky <laughs> platforms that they have <laughs> to take out. So um, so yeah, I mean when in in the best case scenario, platforms are. Are really a positive uh, for loons and for the overall population, but in some case and 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 in many cases they are regulated. In some cases, it doesn't seem as closely regulated as it, it should be. I think.
1: Okay. No, that's that's fair. And you know, it's like you said, you didn't want to cast dispersions, and and I don't think anyone's, you know, volunteering their time to be malicious with where they're <laughs> no. they're putting you know nesting platforms. But I was no I was it comes just kind from of a curing. good place. It always yeah. comes from a good place. Yeah. So you know, you've been studying loons in Wisconsin for, again, close to 30 years. Do you feel like, is that a study that is, you know, just going to continue for the foreseeable future? Um, is it going to, are you going to get to a point with that where, you know, you have, you know, enough data points where you can then sit down and, and, you know, spend, you know, however long it takes to, to do a a thorough, you know, analysis of, of all the information and then make recommendations to, you know, the DNR, the fish and wildlife, you know, whichever department, uh, is involved. And I guess that's question one and question two would be kind of the same thing as it pertains to Minnesota. How long does that study need to be before you feel like you can, you know, make some, some very educated, you know, uh, recommendations for, you know, how to, how to rectify, you know, the situation that we're in.
2: Um, those are good questions and important questions. Uh, and my wife asks me those questions sometimes <laughs> too, uh, cause you know, when I, when I leave California in the summertime, she, she stays here. So, um, so it's, 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 a uh, you know, it's a challenge I've been do, doing it for so long. It's like become the norm, but, but no, they're good questions in Wisconsin. You know, my view in Wisconsin is, you know, this has been. Uh, A a project that's given me so much and I just, I, I do feel like I owe the folks there, I've made so many friends and so many folks have supported me and allowed me to do this research that I need to, now that we found that something's going wrong, we need to figure out what exactly it is and I need to to get to the stage where I can make recommendations as, as you alluded to. And I don't know what time the time course will be for that. I, um, now we, it looks like water clarity is an issue. It looks like, uh, black fly populations are higher. Now it appears than they've been in, in years past, uh, which both seem to be related to rainfall, increased rainfall and maybe increased temperature as well. Um, so, so these, uh, and, and, um, uh, so I think we're at least, I don't know, I mean, I, I, I need to get to the point where uh, I've linked, if, if it's water clarity and black fly populations, I've linked those to the decline in the population and and uh, conveyed that information to, uh, to the DNR and, and, and made it known to the public. And so that folks in Wisconsin know this is what we have to do if we want to save loons here and because uh, i do think we're going to be facing that at some point i think down the road maybe not too far from from now uh we have to make but but that's at least several more years away before you can nail things down we we have some glimmers of what's going on in terms of water clarity and black flies um so that's wisconsin um minnesota minnesota is sort of the other end of the um of the spectrum in terms of we're just getting started but i've i've said um and i th- and I strongly believe this is true. And Within a couple of years, maybe by 2024, 2025, after the 2024 or 2025 field season, we'll be able to put a preliminary population model together that will give us a, a, a number, a lambda. This is this number that population biologists used. And if lambda is 1, it means the population stable. If lambda is one, 1.01, it means the population is going up by 1% each year and so forth. So it can be 0.99 is going down by 1%. Um, and so you 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 come up and generate an estimate of, of this scientific estimate of, of of lambda, of what the population's doing. And I think in a couple of years in Minnesota, we'll know, OK, is the population stable there despite these early concerns that I have? Maybe right. I'm wrong. I've been wrong a lot and maybe I'm <laughs> wrong there and maybe the population's stable and if so few you know what a relief maybe even the population's increasing it doesn't seem to be that would be hard to believe but maybe it's going up in which case few again but if the population's declining anything like what the population seems to be declining in north central wisconsin then it, you get to uh, then you get to the point where you're thinking okay what do we do uh, then, then you have to do the same sort of analyses that, that I've begun to do in Wisconsin, where you say, okay, is it water clarity? Is it black flies? Is it something else? Is it human recreation in some way? Cause human recreation is a, is sometimes an issue. we lose some loons to, to human recreation. Um, uh, you know, which is fine. I don't, I, I don't think it's, I don't think that's likely to be making a, uh, you know, I don't think that's likely to be causing intent. the decline. Yeah. I, I don't know. But uh, but you have to have everything on the table. You know, you need to take an honest look at it and see what's going on. But that's so that's a couple of years away before the time in Minnesota when we say, OK, here's what seems to be the problem. And now if there or, or, you know, if there is a problem, actually, that's the first step is, is there a problem? And if there's a problem, then. Then, uh, then we go into phase two. Okay, what what can we do about it? And of course, the fact that we will have been already were a little bit ahead in knowing about Wisconsin should be able to be transferable to Minnesota. A lot of the lessons that we learned in Wisconsin can be transferable to to Minnesota, so that we can get a good sense uh, from that um, uh, um, to make recommendations to to the DNR and, and, and local agent conservation agencies, uh, and the state and legislators, what do we need to do to protect loons? I mean, in Minnesota, you know, they love loons, both places in Minnesota, it's the state bird. Right. Uh, so, you know, people don't want to mess around with, uh, with losing uh, loons from Minnesota. and, And the stakes seem even higher there, although people in Wisconsin also love loons. So, um, uh, so, but you know, so we're several years away from, from, um, being able to, to know what, what we can, what we need to do in each place. But, um, but, but, but having one will help us learn about the other, I think. And that's going to be a real benefit of, of having, you know, spent all that time in Wisconsin.
1: Yeah. And that was, excuse me, that was one of my questions was going to be is, you know, what can you apply from Wisconsin to Minnesota? Does that, you know, once you kind of have your, your Lambda, your baseline, right, are a lot of those things going to be transferable? Can you, you know, I guess shorten uh, you know the quote unquote learning curve uh, yeah. in terms of you know you've spent thirty years in in Wisconsin yeah. you know studying all these activities you know, maybe you can come to the same conclusions in, in Minnesota, but maybe it takes you 12 years, right? Absolutely. Just, just Absolutely. based on lessons even, learned.
2: Or even faster. I yeah. mean, it, it depends how similar they are, uh, Marcus. Uh, if, if they're very similar, it could be that, that really it's the same two things or the mm-hmm. same three things or whatever, because they are very similar to look at them. The, the, you know, they're both lots of human recreational activity, um, some boating problems that loons have, getting killed by boats sometimes. And, um, and uh, lead, lead problems in both states, um, and then, like I said, the black flies and the water clarity is probably similar. So it may be that exactly the same thing needs to be done in Minnesota as Wisconsin. In which case, instead of twelve years, it'll be, you know, maybe five years. We do have to get we do have to get enough population data in Minnesota to to know what's going on and be able to say confidently because, you know, you, we we want to do rigorous science. And for that, you need a large sample. You need to follow enough lakes to be able to not say something, you know, off the cuff. Uh, You need to say something with with statistical significance, and and you need to make sure that you send it to peers, uh, you know, other scientists who agree, this is what's going on. You have the evidence. Here's what we need to do, and then let's get it done.
1: Yeah. And you, you've, you've mentioned it a few times, but the, the lead poisoning, um, I had a gentleman on the podcast, uh, who works for the Michigan wildlife Federation here. And he is a, a big advocate and a big proponent for, uh, non-lead, uh, fishing tackle and non-lead, um, ammunition in your firearms as well, because, and, and maybe I'm late to the game, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, really having a, a full understanding of, of, um, that issue, but that's one that it's almost like a silent killer, um, because it's, it's hard to, or it may be hard for individuals to, you know, go out and, you know, they're using, you know, lead ammunition or lead, um, you know, tackle when they're fishing and, they can't see the results, right? They can't right. see the the result a year down the road or two years down the road. Um, especially, you know, like in birds that catch, you know, predatory birds that are catching fish that have lead poisoning and then it's killing the birds. Like it's just, yeah, it's kind of this, this slow trickle effect, but it's certainly one that I have seen um, a lot bigger uh, of an emphasis put on um, in recent years. How are you guys able to, in your studies to, you know, determine these types of things like how lead poisoning, um, is affecting and, you know, what, you know, I guess the, the totality of that effect.
2: Well, um, of course we study, um, you know, we study these marked birds that are living on their territories and look at their behavior, but we do lose them to, to lead poisoning. We have, um, um, usually it's, it's angling, you know, it's fishing incidents where they, 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 they swallow a jig or they swallow a sinker and, uh, they take it from a fishing line. Um, and so, but we don't see as much of it as, uh, as the rehabbers do the folks who okay. are called and, uh, and w- when, when there's a loon that's in trouble, this is, there's a loon that's acting strangely, or there's a loon on shore, or maybe there's just, there's a dead loon, um, you know, um, and, uh, but the, um, and so so we're beginning to collect data Uh, more systematically and we're beginning to look for lead more you know do x-rays and look for lead more than uh, than we used to both in and that's happening both in wisconsin and in minnesota different agencies in wisconsin and minnesota and i in many cases it's rehabbers who are really doing fantastic work spending a lot of resources to try to save birds um that that have lead poisoning and hoping they can bring them back and occasionally that can happen or at least documenting this bird died from lead poisoning you know this bird died from that point of this so um so really um i don't collect as much information about that although anytime there's a loon in trouble uh in real trouble we'll catch it and quickly take it to to a rehabber uh and uh, and try to get some help and we have a number of rehabbers who've stepped up in both wisconsin and minnesota who, who will do that but but it is a big problem i mean i mean um If you think about it, I said, you know, earlier on, I talked about how a male loon can be on a territory for 20 years. And we've just docked another paper that I've just, uh, writing up and I'm about to send off for publication is, is a paper that, that shows that males continue to increase and increase steadily in their ability to hatch eggs. Even after 15 years on a territory, they're still getting a little bit better each year because that's, and that's the, the value of that familiarity they have with a territory. And so think about it. If a male on a territory that's been there for 20 years gets lead poisoning, that all of that knowledge and you know information that that male had about is 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 lost, and that territory, the new male that comes in is back to square one. He doesn't know anything. Doesn't know where doesn't know where to nest. And so, as from a population standpoint, you know those males become these super valuable, knowledgeable animals that um, that produce that crank out the chicks once they get the, the get the experience. So that's a case where lead poisoning really. Really can hit them hard, and I mean, lead poisoning of females is terrible too. It happens that females there are more females. There's a female biased uh, sex ratio, so there are more females in the population than males um, in 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 our population in uh, in Wisconsin. So a female a death of a female loon isn't as devastating. As as the death of a male territory holder, but either way, it's bad. It's 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 yeah. uh, something, and it's something that we really need to fix because there are substitutes. I mean, if there were, if we were putting people out of the fishing business, uh, or putting people out of the hunting business with with uh, getting rid of lead, then that would be a tough call, but really this should be, I know it's a little more expensive, but honestly, aren't the loons worth it? Uh, and, and as you say, it's a, it's a tragic situation because people don't see the immediate effect. It takes, right. it takes a, a couple of days for a loon to ingest a, a lead sinker and then become unable to move and then ultimately die. And it's a, must be a pretty bad way to go too. And, uh, yeah. cause it's not quick. And, um, yeah, that's that's something that we really we really we need to think hard about fixing because uh, in addition we don't know whether lead poisoning itself is a serious enough problem to hit the population to cause to be contributing to the population decline, but it's one of those it's sort of low hanging fruit. I mean let's let's fix this. This is this is yeah. easy to fix. We know how to fix it. There are substitutes. We, it's not going to change our lives. Let's yeah, do it's, it. It's
1: a very tangible um, yeah. change that can be made and you can yeah. see an immediate impact. So <clears throat> um kind of going back to trying to bring it full circle a little bit here, we talked about, you know, uh the the crisis, uh, if you want to call it that, the, the that you're experiencing that you're you're studying uh in both Wisconsin and Minnesota. And in Minnesota, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong there, Walter, but the the funding mechanism um, that you guys have for the work that you've been doing um, has taken a bit of a hit, correct? Yep. In Minnesota, yep. now our, I guess for for quick clarification, um, you know, funding for you know these different research projects and stuff comes in kind of in, in all different avenues. Is it different funding mechanisms um, for Wisconsin and for Minnesota, or is it all kind of pooled together? I guess.
2: Well. It could be either one. Thanks for asking about funding, but it it, it could be either one. It, in years past, we've gotten funding from the National Science Foundation, from NSF. So, um, and for fourteen years out of the thirty-one that I've studied loons, we've had National Science Foundation funding. But um, NSF funding is now much more competitive than it used to be. And it used to be that uh, you know about twenty-five to thirty percent of all the grants that were that were submitted. Uh, were were funded. And now it's in the, at least in the programs to which I apply, it's in the single digits. And so it's oh, wow. just really, really hard to get the money. Uh, so that's pinched us. And we have applied for, for funding from National Science Foundation. There's also been a little bit of a juggling of the programs in a way that Made it harder to get funding, for long-term funding for for animal behavior-related programs like the work that I'm doing. So that that made it harder for us because the program kind of closed down in a way that that impacted us um, negatively. Um, but so, so I've gotten a lot of funding from National Science Foundation in the past, and am, and continuing to try to do that. But the reality is, with funding rates as low as they are, uh, you you look for new uh, new sources of funding. And um, fortunately, um, by a variety of means, despite the loss of NSF funding and and some some other funding that we had in in Minnesota uh, from another funding source, we've been able. Uh, you know, I have a blog. That, uh, that has a bunch of followers and people love loons. And I talk about loons and talk about the research that, that I do. And, and, um, the, by the way, the blog is, I was okay to plug. Yeah, no, my, I, my was gonna, I was, I was
1: going to ask you when you were done. So go ahead. <laughs>
2: okay. It's at loon, loonproject.org. Um, just loonproject.org, and um, and it it'll show show you about the blog and give you an opportunity to to sign up if you're interested, and you just get a you get emailed the blog post each time I post a blog, and and so that is uh, something that that uh, I did because I enjoyed it and I thought I wanted to share what I was finding, and it's. It, um, it's, it provides lots of educational information and it kind of kind of quick look at the early scientific findings before they're actually published so that I can share that with folks as well as sometimes just my thoughts about loons and, and uh, sometimes there's a personal aspect to being a scientist and struggling to, to study, uh, study animals in, in nature. And so there's all sorts of things in there, but there's a lot about loons and, uh, and people have uh, gravitated towards that blog and when people heard that there were funding problems, I've gotten a lot of folks to step up, and uh, at least they've gotten me to the stage now where in Minnesota – um, there's enough funding for me to put a sort of a skeleton team together to kind of keep, kind of tread water, I guess you could say, in in Minnesota. So I can keep, fun- I can I can head back there and collect data early in the year and um, to on to, to see which marked birds are, have come back to try to look at to see if we can say something about nesting in the middle of the year, and then to go late in the year to to see where which ter- uh, which parrot. Uh, territorial pairs have chicks so that we can we can capture some of those birds and mark them and continue to expand our population so we've got funding to just you know just barely enough to get that to kind of keep the project going but we really want to get to the next level where we're able to do careful analyses make frequent observational visits to these territories about 105 territories in minnesota just as we do in wisconsin so that So that we can get really accurate information about nesting behavior, about the ages of chicks, because that turns out to be critical to our ability to to, to measure the mass of the chicks. Uh, We have to adjust for age in order to see whether the mass has declined in Minnesota as it has in Wisconsin. So without a full-flung effort, the full funding, it's uh, it's hard for us to get as high quality data as as we like in order to ask the questions about water clarity and and black fly impacts uh, that we would like to. So so we're kind of we're stuck uh, at a stage where uh, and and we're happy to be at the stage where we are where this replacement this funding that we lost a couple of months ago we've we've gotten uh, a lot of that back and uh, but we're we're not able to put together a full a full field team, a uh, regular field team in Minnesota. And that, and I, you know, I'm a little, you know, pretty anxious about that. That's why, that's why we're, we're asking for whatever help people, people feel they can give us. Cause we'd like to be able to get to the point where we can say, here's how minute loons are doing in Minnesota. And then if they're struggling, let's go to the next step and see what recommendations we can make for turning things around.
1: Yeah. And we, we kind of glitched there for a second. I don't know if you noticed that or oh, not, yeah. but, um, Where, you know, for, and I think the, the loon, you talked about it, it's, it's just such this iconic bird, especially in the Midwest. And for so many of us, I mean, you and I both shared our stories for people who, you know, want to get involved, right. For, you know, we have a, you know, I I would say a healthy listenership, um, on the podcast. And I think, um, a lot of them are very like-minded when it comes to conservation and to, um, you know, kind of a, a call to arms, if you will, when, when we see an issue <clears throat> and we know that we can help contribute, um, to that in some way, shape or form. So where can people, you know, if they, you know, if they have, you know, $25, if they have $50, whatever the case is, right, whatever they can contribute, where can people, um, go and, you know, learn more about the, uh, is it just at the loon project where they can just learn more about the work that you're doing, where they can possibly donate or send donations to?
2: Yes. Um, again, it's, it's Loon Project, just Loon Project all run together. One, one word, Loon And we have a, uh, a lot of information there about, um, what the goals are, what our recent findings have been, uh, the, about why we study birds, why do, why we study loons? Why do we mark loons? What, what, um, what have we found out over the years? Uh, who's involved? Who are the people? Who am I? Who are the people involved in the project? Uh, there's also a publications link so you can see the publications uh, that we've made over the years. Um, some of them on behavior that, that I described. Some of them on conservation. More recently, they're more focused on conservation. And there's a donate page as well. Okay. So there's a there's a sub uh, sub menu on on loonproject.org that uh, that allows folks to to donate. And we would. We would love it if, if people um, would would uh, donate and anything they can and um, you know a lot of the donations we we've got uh, also some of the most valuable ones are if people happen to know know others or, or, or live or have uh, houses up in um, in the Cross Lake Minnesota area or in the Rhinelander Wisconsin area folks following the blog have allowed us to sometimes allowed us to stay there even for a short period of time uh during the summertime, uh, maybe you know before they come up in july we if we if we could stay stay uh you know say that sometimes people provide us lodging um and so any kind of donation whether it's whether it's a financial or, or or some sort of lodging that folks can provide could be enormously valuable and could could allow us to keep the minnesota project going which is uh, Again we're hanging in there with a the Minnesota project but yeah. um, but we could use anything that people could provide so I hope do that's you, the information you needed
1: yeah absolutely and and I'll be sure um, you know once we we get the episode all put together to to highlight uh, loonproject dot um, in the show notes um, you know and, and anywhere where people can access the the episode that they'll be able to access um, the website as well do you have um, like a dollar amount that you guys are trying or is at this point is it Hey, any any contributions are are welcome, and they will be put to good use.
2: Well, any certainly any contributions are, are really appreciated and and, and welcomed. Um, I mean, I run a pretty uh, lean operation uh, in in both places, in Winnes- you know, that's one of the things I'm proud of is that we we go out and we get young students who are interested in wildlife uh, biology, and uh, we see whether you know, and and I just spoke to one this morning and, um, uh, to see, you know, she was, she's interested in wildlife biology, getting more field exposure. And, Mm -hmm. and this is an intense field project. We cover a lot of ground and we, um, we fan out, we work in solo canoes on our own in order to maximize the amount of coverage we can make. So we, so we really do run a lean operation. Um, I mean, realistically in order to, to, uh, to cover, Minnesota in in great detail um we probably need another 20 20k uh to 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 do that and and, and 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 you know that's a huge number and and uh so but um that's what we've you know that's our experience has shown us that we need about about uh, 35 or, or 40k in each state to keep the project going and and uh, and that's just that's no salary for me. Uh, you know, I get paid by Chapman. That's just uh, funding that we give, give to, to give a little stipend to the students, sure. um, support, travel support for the students, travel support for me to be able to just go out to the study area, replace broken canoes and paddles and, uh, yeah, and there's whatnot. Overhead. There's, there's, yeah, he, it's just he, sort of he, overhead you know, stuff, a little bit of storage yeah. cost, and it just adds up. And that's what it comes to. So so we would love if we could get to, to, to 20K, uh, that would allow us to go from the skeleton Crew that we will have in Minnesota to to a full blown um, field effort in Minnesota, so that we're we're really uh, moving quickly towards knowing what might be what might be causing problems in Minnesota, or or really assessing the population so that we you know so we can tell whether there could be problems or not. But um, so yeah, that's kind of our target. Uh, at the moment, but, but any, anything people can, can afford to send would be so, uh, so uh, welcomed and uh, any thoughts or advice or, 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 or recollections. I love to get emails from people who, who tell me what, you know, what they've learned about loons or how they've known them and what, how loons have influenced <laughs> their lives. So people want to email me at, at W Piper at edu W that's just my name, W-P-I-P-E-R at Chapman, C-H-A-P-M-A-N dot E-D-U. And just tell me, this is what loons mean to me. And and maybe if you can afford a donation to help us out, that would be tremendous. Because we want to keep loons around uh, as long as we can. And the idea, honestly, the idea that ever be lost from Wisconsin or Minnesota is just, I just can't even fathom that. that that's just a horrifying prospect. And I want to do what I can uh, during my uh, you know, remaining years out, out in the field to, uh, to make sure that never happens.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that that's, it, I mean, commendable is not even the right word. Um, the fact that, you know, you're kind of making this your, your life's work or the, you know, the, for the better part of your professional career, um, yeah. you know, your, your goal to try to better understand and, uh, mitigate a problem that we see out there. And what you mentioned, you know, kind of your, your target goal of, of 20,000. Um, you know, I think that, you're right. That that is certainly a lot of money, but I think it's also one that's very attainable. Um, you know, if we can uh, get this message uh, in front of the right people um, and in front of the right organizations, I think that you know, thousand dollars here, thought you know, five hundred dollars, you know, things like that, that that can add up very quickly. And I think that um, you know, the loon especially probably holds a place in, in people's hearts. Um, you know, it's much further than just the Midwest here, right. You know, everyone's got stories, you know, kind of like you talked about. Um, and I think that, you know, stories like this, projects like this, they, they resonate with people and the, just the thought, like you said, of, you know, this, the decline of, you know, such a, an iconic animal, um, is scary, especially for, you know, you don't have to be an hunter, a hunter or an angler. Um, you just have to be, you know, someone who spent any amount of time in the outdoors, and to to gain an appreciation, you know, and not even for loons, you know, maybe it's for for other, you know, wildlife um, that you know people have an affinity for that you, they, they don't want to see things go away, right? And I think that, you know, with with two percent and you know the relationship um, there, that I you know I, I feel very confident that we can you know really try to help you know put. This project in the best possible shape to to succeed and to to give you guys the the tools you and your team the tools that you need in order to help you know push this thing across the finish line. Like I said earlier, and you know make educated and and scientific decisions about um, you know what's possibly causing this decline in population and hopefully you know help rectify that
2: yeah i i thank you so much for saying that I, I i strongly agree i mean i I think there are people i mean I used to be one of these people that that before I started studying loons that something about going up to the north woods and and, and being you know inside your cabin at night and hearing loons at night is just magical and I felt like you know my my stress and my uh you know my pulse <laughs> pulse rate came down the stress melted anxiety away and gone. somehow yeah it was it's just so. Uh, such a special experience, and to to lose that, the threat of losing that, is just. It's just obscene to me, and uh, I, I do feel like you know we're the ones on the ground, really collecting the data and learning the information that we will pass on to to uh, agencies, to local agencies and state agencies and, and federal agencies, if if need be, to try to turn things around, to try to change policies. Once we have the science, once we have the knowledge, we can go in smart and know where the pressure points are and and try to reverse uh, the the trend the negative trend that we see in Wisconsin and that the negative trend that's likely to be there uh, in Minnesota, if we find one. So, but without that knowledge, we're going in blind, we're flying blind. Right. And, um, so, uh, so I think the money that, uh, the, the, the people are able to, to, to give us is money that, that goes to knowledge and goes more directly to, to conservation than, um, you know, then maybe a donation you'd make to some organization that's interested in loons and other animals. But, but, um, you know, we're, we're, we're buying a canoe paddle, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, with that money. You're we're buying um,
1: transportation.
2: <laughs> yeah, we're, we're we're able to go to the study area. We're able to hire another person to cover some more lakes in order to increase our sample size to get better statistical results so that we really know what's going on. So we feel it strongly um, when people give uh, to our, our project, and uh, we think we use that money very, very efficiently. Yeah. A lot of bang for the buck, I guess, is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I, I, I hate to discourage people from... Um, you know, where, or encourage or discourage people on, on where they spend their money. But, you know, instead of, you know, maybe buying a membership to certain, you know, whatever, right. I mean, that's not even, yeah. right. I shouldn't have said that, <laughs> but, you know, instead of, you know, buying this, you know, maybe, you know, you spend that 35 bucks or that 50 bucks and, and you donate it to a good cause. That's, that's going to potentially help, um, you know, slow down or stop the, uh, the decline of, uh, of a certain animal and, you know, I, I I like the fact that while this is, I guess you could call it reactive in some sense, I think we're being, you and your team are being proactive in, in the approach to try to not let it get to a point where it's like, you know, these are going to, you know, land on, you know, a list that we don't want it on here before too long if something isn't done. So if we can get out ahead of that as best as possible, I think that the, the work that you and your team are doing are, is, is incredible. And, um, you know, hopefully, with this podcast and, and hopefully with, you know, the, the the work that 2% is doing to try to raise awareness for this as well, that that we can, you know, right the ship, so to speak, and, and get you back to full strength with your team there. And we can really, um, you know, make, you guys can really make, I say we, <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> that
1: you guys can really make a change for this because- I think um, it's
2: we, I think we're all, we're all, you know, interested in this. And, uh, and yeah, I, I do think um, there's enough There's still, most of the loons are still there in Wisconsin. This is the time that we need to know. And we need to learn when the population is still strong enough so that we can turn things around. Like you say, we can right the ship. And uh, so if we, if we uh, wise up now and and see where the pressure points are, then we can, um, we can anticipate problems down the road and, and, and take steps to, to, uh, to stop those, those pressure points from, from causing problems for the loon populations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, for those listening again, uh, loonproject.org. You can go over there and and see all the work that um, Walter and his team are doing, how you can donate and help give back Walter Piper. Thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, it's been very eye-opening. Uh, it's been great to to hear about the work that you're doing, and uh, hopefully we can do this again soon. When you know, hopefully we've hit this goal, and then we can talk about you know what what's to come over the you know the coming years and, and the research that you and your team plan to do.
2: Great, Marcus. Well, I, I I can't thank you enough for for giving us this exposure and an opportunity to to uh, see if people will will help out, and um, it's been it's been great to talk to you.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Walter. Take care and we'll talk soon.
2: Okay. Bye-bye.
1: All right. Well, thank you again to Walter for joining me today and talking more about loons. And again, uh, in order to get involved and help donate to the cause, be sure to head over to loonproject.org. Again, read about the work that Walter and his team are doing. And then also, um, you know, whatever you can spare, uh, to donate, uh, would be greatly appreciated by Walter and the team in order to, you know, really push this, uh, research project, uh, across the finish line. So I'd also like to thank, uh, 2%, uh, not only for introducing Walter, Walter and I, uh, and bringing this to my attention, um, but, uh, for their partnership as well. And, <clears throat> If you're interested in learning more about two percent for conservation you can visit their website fishandwildlife.org and over there you're going to see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop i also encourage you guys to follow two percent on social media where it's going to be only positive conservation driven content landing in your feeds so again if you'd like to learn more about two percent for conservation you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the episode and hope you decide to uh, help Walter and their team uh, with their project as well. Um, Until next week, remember, (laughs) still, until next week, stay safe out there and remember that conservation starts with you.